0: We're going to continue our study, How God Speaks to Us. We're on part five. We're going to see how far we get today. But going forward into next week, we're going to begin walking the road with Jesus to the resurrection. And we're going to start in the wilderness. But this morning, let's get back to how God speaks to us. And just so that you're aware, John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 27, has been our foundational verse. Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Thank God the Good Shepherd still speaks to us as people. So to be aware of something means that we've just become enlightened, that something is happening or something exists, and that is a wonderful moment in all of our lives when suddenly the lights come on and things aren't blurry anymore and we see and understand things more clearly And in this particular study, it's so important that we know this truth and are established in it is that the Bible and prayer are always understood as fundamental and foundational in anything that has to do with God speaking to us. One man uh, minister was speaking to uh, another, and he says, You know, I've I've gone beyond the Bible, and, and God has taken me into greater revelation. And this one minister just trying to help His fellow brother said, you've gone too far for me. You've gone too far. When we go beyond the instruction, the example, and the spirit of Scripture, we've gone off into another path. And so the Bible and prayer are always understood as fundamental and foundational in this study. I've given you a path to blessing just uh, as a point of remembrance. When we become aware of something, we're awakened to it. It creates a willingness in our heart. That causes us to be obedient, and then from our obedience comes the blessing of the Lord. So there's a path that leads to the fuller life that God has for us and the richer life that he's provided for us in Christ Jesus. So the prior messages we studied, uh, we studied how God speaks to us, and I'll, I'll list, you know, creation through conscience, through Christ, through conviction, through chance, through circumstances. And last week we talked about the still small voice, But today we're going to conclude by looking at various other ways in which God speaks to us. And the first is a classic example of something that just happens maybe once in all of eternity. But it's written unto us so that if it ever happens twice or this ever occurs to you, uh, then you're in rarefied air. Okay, so let's go back to Numbers chapter 22. And this is a story of Balaam, who is a prophet of the Lord, and Balak. And Balak is trying to hire the prophet to come and put a curse on the people of God so that he would triumph over them and he would gain more territory, more wealth, more power, and more prestige. So Balak's heart as a king is really greedy, and he's appealing unto Balaam to curse the people of God so that he would be the benefactor. So Balaam initially, you know, talks to the Lord and the Lord says, you can go, but you can only say what I tell you to say. And they have this conversation several times. And then Balaam actually goes to Balak, the king, and he says, all right, I'll go. But I cannot curse these people because God has blessed them. And he says, well, come with me and I'm going to show you where they're camping. And you just call down a curse on them and I'll pay you a pretty hefty sum of money and now money's entered into the conversation and so it starts messing with the prophet's head a little bit and so he goes and he looks and see where the people of god are and 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 he can't curse them god won't allow those words to come out of his mouth and so Balak gets mad at him and he says i'll tell you what let's go over here and i'll show you another place where they're camped. they're spread out all throughout this valley and i want you to look at this particular perspective and I want you to curse the people of God and Balaam went over there and the Lord wouldn't let him speak and he went back to Balaam and he and he said I told you I can't say anything unless the Lord gives me the words to say but about this time the Annie gets a little bit higher and Balak says you know what I, I've got a lot of money I'll I'll pay you handsomely and, and reward you richly if you'll just come with me to this third place they come to this third place and same scenario And now we're at an impasse you know, Balaam and some of the weaknesses in his character are about to be revealed, but Balak and his greediness is not going to stop until he gets his way. And this is a king that is, is very, very bullish. So now we pick up the story in verse 21. It says, so Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Whenever you see an angel of the Lord capitalized in Scripture, speaking of deity. And you're going to see that through this. So God himself is now standing in the path of the prophet, and he is going to deter His progress, because he's not doing what the Lord asked him to do. Verse 23. Now the donkey saw the angel. Let that sink in for a minute. The donkey saw the angel. The prophet didn't. saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back on to the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Verse 28, Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey in which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and only the Lord can open our eyes. So the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and he fell flat on his face. Now he's humbled and there's going to be a moment of accountability. And the angel of the Lord uh, said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. So Balaam's way through the course of the sequence of events turned from being pure to being perverted and money started messing with him and he became greedy for gain. And now God is not only protecting his people from a prophet who had become perverse. He's also protecting the prophet. So he's being very merciful in his interaction at this moment. And now he's conversing With the prophet himself. And then the donkey saw me in verse 33 and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have also killed you by now. And I let her live. And verse 34 and Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it pleases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. I want to read one other verse. It's found in the 23rd chapter. This is towards the end of the The encounter between Balaam and Balak and the spirit of the Lord came upon the prophet. And in verse 19, he says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So God spoke initially and God wasn't going to change his mind. But this has how these scenarios sometimes play out in our lives. God tells us something and we don't like it. So we keep, you know, going down the path, seeing if God's going to change his mind. We look at life through this perspective, through that perspective. And yet we have this inward witness and this knowing that God hasn't changed his mind. But now something has maybe captivated our curiosity and attention. And so now we're getting off course and we're starting to follow ungodly and unwise counsel because we think somehow it's going to benefit us. And so now we're off the path. And God, in his sovereignty and in his grace and in his mercy, visits us sometimes at that time and begins to speak to us. In this particular account, what what is fascinating to me, and I hope you find this very fascinating, is not only the means, the donkey in which God used to talk to him, but the way that the conversation unfolded. Balaam, at the moment, probably was so angry and so distraught that he was unaware that he was conversing with his donkey. That's how much he had gone astray. That's where his mind had become perverse, that he started interacting with his donkey. And this is not the original version of Shrek. And this is not Mr. Ed. This is in a real account where God sovereignly, by his own choice, intervened and tried to protect not only his people, but his prophet. And he spoke, and he spoke in a very unusual, unique way. And it's never happened to me. Even though our dog, Max, we believe talks to us, and we talk on behalf of Max. How many of you talk for your animals? We actually believe that we can interpret their language. Yes, oh, yeah, I know what you want. And yes, I'll get it for you right away. Oh, yes, baby, you got it. This is not that. This is is a, a much more serious matter than that that that's just us sort of role-playing with our animal you know we actually believe that they understand english and what they understand is anything that's tied to a treat that's what they understand any anything other than that they're oblivious to it and you know that because you believe you've taught your animal when to come But if there's a mailman with a bone, they will not come to you. They will go to the mailman until they get a bone. All right. In this situation, though, a lesson that we need to learn is that God's not going to change his mind. When he says something to us, he means what he says, and he wants us to follow through with obedience because that's going to bring the blessing. See, we think there's alternative paths to the blessing of the Lord, but obedience is the path to the blessing of the Lord. You can see the sequence of events in this particular scenario in Scripture. There was an awareness and an awakening. All of a sudden, he's repentant, he's broken, he becomes willing, he becomes obedient, and then the blessing of the Lord comes upon him. And he goes from being perverse back to being pure. He goes from a place of not being a a viable mouthpiece of God to being a viable mouthpiece of God and speaking once again with confidence and assurance that God is not a man and he's not going to lie. He has spoken. He's going to make it good. So we have to make sure that it's God speaking unto us. Let's go on to another way that God speaks to us. And all of these that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning Are not initiated by us. We can't make any of this stuff happen. It just happens because of the sovereignty of God. This is God being God all by himself. This is not you and I initiating faith. This is not us finding the favor of the Lord. This is God manifesting himself... ...and speaking to us in unique... ...and not daily type of activity uh, uh, ways so that we would stay on course all right the next is the audible voice of god the audible voice of god i want uh to turn to matthew's gospel chapter 3 i have several other scripture references i trust that you'll take time to read those in your own devotions matthew's gospel chapter 3 in verse 13 then jesus came from galilee To John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Well, then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the audible voice of God from heaven speaking to his Son and announcing his pleasure in his obedience. And this... Doesn't happen every day, folks. This is not an everyday occurrence. This doesn't happen to 99% of the people for a majority of their life. This is, happens just very rarely. This is rarefied air. I gave you the first example in your notes in Exodus chapter 3 where God begins to talk to Moses. It's audible, but he's speaking to him through a burning bush. That's amazing. That doesn't happen you know, I, I, there's only one time in Scripture where that occurred. Now, we can look uh, further on into the book of Acts. And now this is after the day of Pentecost. And we want to pick up. We're still talking about an, an audible voice and God speaking to where your physical ear actually hears his voice. That's the audible voice of God. It's not where you hear it with the ears of your spirit is where you hear it with your physical ears and not only you but other people are aware that God is speaking at that moment. So Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were in the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul has an agenda. He's getting authorized to follow through with that agenda. It's not God's agenda. It's Saul's agenda. It's his interpretation of what he believed God wants him to do. But he's a mile off course. He's on the wrong road. And so God is going to intervene because God is going to use this man to really be A pillar in the early church but he is off course and god wants to get him back on the course it said in verse three and he journeyed he came to damascus and suddenly the light shone around him from heaven and then he fell to the ground and just as a side note all light comes from heaven anything that doesn't come you know that's where all light originates from so the light comes from heaven and and uh and suddenly uh, he fell to the ground In verse four, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, it's hard for you to butt your head against the wall. You're just running into trouble and you're getting deeper and deeper into it. And you just keep running and running your head into the wall and running your head into the wall. You ever had days like that? You're just bumping your head against the wall, bumping your head against the wall. And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, It is I. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse six. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Then Jesus arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So not only did Saul hear this voice, those that traveled with him, those that were his companions also heard this voice. And from there they went into the city and... It was told him what he must do. So occasionally, God speaks in an audible voice. It's very authoritative. It's a way of him displaying his sovereign will of getting his servants back on course, of getting in, into a position where they can hear from him again and, and come and know his saving grace and his wonderful goodness. So let's go on to the next category. I want to talk about dreams and visions. As a reminder, dreams and visions are not something that we seek. They're something that God grants. And when God grants it and when God does something like this, it should be very sacred and very holy. Once again, it's not that common, but it does occur. And the Bible talks about it, so we need to be aware of it. But there's a purpose for it. Have you ever been in a meeting at work, And you're just meeting to meet because every Tuesday at 3 o'clock you meet, whether you talk about anything or not, and all the teachers in the room raise their hand. Yes. Amen. You've been in meetings, and the meetings aren't really producing anything, and it's better not to meet than to meet in a meeting like that. Okay? In the same way, what I'm saying is God doesn't grant you a dream just to give you a dream. There has to be a purpose and a reason for the dream. And if you don't know the interpretation of the dream, it could be because your subconscious mind is just overactive and you're just running or rehearsing some of the events or activities that occurred in your life that day or through the course of that week. I remember as a kid, that I had a seven-foot King Kong poster right by my bed, seven-foot King Kong poster. I had my bedroom in the basement. It was the green monster of our base, uh, our basement because our basement many times doubled as the Nerf ball, uh, baseball capital of the world. And so uh, where King Kong and the seven-foot King Kong poster was, it was like Fenway Park's green monster. And if you hit the Nerf ball, and it hit King Kong. It was an automatic home run, and it wasn't easy to do because you had to curve the ball around the wall to hit the seven-foot King uh, King Kong poster. But I laid in bed every night, and before I went to sleep, the vision of what was in my mind? Seven-foot King Kong poster. You know how many times I was thrown off the Empire State Building as a course of a kid, and it's because... That was visually in my mind. That wasn't God speaking to me to get rid of the King Kong poster that it was an idol and I shouldn't play Nerf ball and that shouldn't be a home run derby thing. That uh, that would have been a dumb interpretation. That would have been silly and foolishness and, and everything else. And, and what it was was I, I, I just looked at King Kong every night before I went to bed. So visions and dreams of King Kong ran through my head. But there are times where unbeknownst to us and God in his goodness and his sovereignty intervenes, maybe because we're not paying attention when we're awake, he talks to us when we're not. Maybe we're not listening to conscience or the still small voice. Maybe we're not even paying attention to chance or circumstances or to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so he waits till we're completely knocked out and he says, I think I'll send them a message. And let's take a look at a couple of examples of these. Matthew's gospel, chapter 2. If you just want to turn back a few pages to Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's gospel, chapter 2 and verse 12 and 13, speaking of God intervening, then... Being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. Verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So, God intervened to protect the Messiah so the Messiah would actually fulfill what he was sent to do, and that is to save us from our sins. Now, Mary and Joseph were the chosen vessels that God had ordained to nurture and to care for Christ as he was growing up and as he was being brought up. What a great responsibility. But through this dream, they were led to a safe haven so that Christ could be protected so that we would be saved. And this is God intervening in the course of a dream. And in the course of this dream, there's actually a word of knowledge and the working of a revelation gift that God revealed something to them that they had no idea about. So it actually fulfilled a purpose. It fulfilled the purpose of Jesus staying alive to save us from our sins. It also allowed them to understand why they were doing what they were doing so they could do it in good faith. Now, let's take another Example, in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, these are various ways that God speaks. They're unique. They're sovereign. We can initiate them. If God grants us unto them, he also grants us the understanding of what it means. And he gives us that insight. If you're trying to come up with your own interpretation, that's not a godly interpretation. That's potentially forecasting what we want and not what God has revealed. Acts chapter 10, and let's begin now in the first verse. So we can see that Saul has gone into the city and uh, the Lord has, has, uh, has dealt with him. And it says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius and Centurion that was called by the Italian regiment, a devout man. And one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, um, he saw clearly a vision, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? And so he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. What a an amazing course of events. Uh, 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 here we are, an Italian or Roman soldier who wasn't saved yet was generous and prayed often. And God sovereignly showed up in his life. He acknowledged him as the Lord, wanted to know what in the world was going on. And he said, I've heard your prayers. I've seen your giving. They've come up as a memorial. I'm going to send someone into your life that's going to give you words whereby you can be saved. And Cornelius uh, being aroused by this vision grabbed his servants and said you've got to get to Joppa and you've got to find a man named Peter because he has a message for me that's going to help me to make everything in my life make sense. Cornelius was a what we would say a noble man an honorable man but he did not know the Lord and yet God was going to send someone into his life and he first awakened Cornelius to this reality and now we pick up in verse 9, the next day as they went on their journey, these are the servants of Cornelius and drew near to the city. Peter went up on a housetop to pray and it was about the sixth hour, that's noon. Then he became very hungry, wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance or he had a vision and he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, which is all metaphorical. And a voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So God, knowing the heritage of Peter that he was a Jewish man is trying to use this illustration to get him to understand what Jesus did through the cross includes all people. And don't you exclude anybody. So Peter had a mindset that God was for the people of God, but he wasn't for anybody else. And that, that That salvation was for the Jews, but he could care less about the Gentiles. And those are unclean people. And I'm not going to mess with this group of unclean people. And God wanted to use Peter to break the power of prejudice off his life and help Cornelius come to know salvation. Did amazing things in giving these men visions so that his will could be accomplished. And I believe that God goes as far as he needs to go to see anybody saved. How far will God go as God, God will go as far as he needs to go to see the lost, not be lost. And if people aren't listening and hearing him in other ways, he is going to keep being God all by himself. And so we know what happens. They have a conversation in verse. Fourteen. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Verse 15, and a voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must, not call on, you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. That's amazing. And now Peter goes, ministers to Cornelius. They're saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what a glorious day that was for his house amazing amazing what happens so you can see that a dream or a vision is tied to salvation if god was sovereignly to grant us a dream or a vision it has to do with his will being done if we talk about dreams or visions where it validates our spirituality that's spiritual pride and that's not god when God gives anyone a dream or a vision, it's for the purpose of humanity coming to know salvation and to coming to faith in Christ. So that his will would be done. I would say that in the course of my life in ministry, there have been a few times where God has spoke to me in the night season. And I realized it's because I was too busy in the day. That's why I use myself as an example. I knew what he was saying, and it was more confirmation for me. One time I had a vision, and the vision's name was Charlene, and I'm glad that I followed up on that vision and asked her out for a Coke, and here we are 32 years later, still having Cokes. Oh, we can't have Cokes anymore, rats. All right, so we can't have Cokes anymore. We're We're not having Cokes anymore, I should say. We could, but we're not. All right. The other I, I will share this the other time uh, and it happened in a service here where the Lord opened my eyes and this took place many years ago. And there was a man that was in our service and he needed a heart and I was unaware of what was going on with his heart. And so the Lord was dealing with me during the offering time and began to show me. Just in a moment of time, it just takes a moment of time, what he wanted to do. And so I invited this individual to come forward. And the Lord told me to share with him, there was an angel that was sent with a heart that was for him. And so we allowed God to do what he needed to do. I asked him to follow up with his cardiologist. He called me three days later. They went in, retested him, retested him, retested him, retested him. He called me and the cardiologist said, you have a miracle. You have a brand new heart. And we gave God the glory. Amen. Whenever God reveals or shows us something, it's so that he can be glorified. He receives the glory. And God is good. And sometimes because we're not listening or because other people need help in getting some things dropped off. You ever carry luggage with you? Preconceived ideas? You know, you're praying, oh, God, use me, use me, and he sends you someone. And you're like, oh, not them, not then, Oh, God, could you use me, could you use me? And that's oh, if you have, you have the same struggle that Peter had. Don't call anybody common or unclean. God has just loves us all and he's cleansed us all through the blood of Christ. So let's talk about another way that God speaks to us. Are you guys doing good? Amen. All right. Acts chapter nine. And verse 17 through 19, and this is the gift of prophecy. And prophecy in the New Testament is different than that in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, God's Spirit primarily landed on people like the prophet, the priest, and the king. Uh, it, 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 the Spirit of the Lord also came on those that were building the tabernacle in the wilderness so that they could do the work of the Lord. And it took grace to do that because what a, an assignment that was to, to build that, that uh, tabernacle but uh, in the New Testament, the sons and the daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. And Scripture tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the prophecy or the prophetic in the New Testament is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's not so much foretelling as it is forthtelling, And forthtelling is about confirmation, not revelation. Now, there are times where God speaks through the prophet in the New Testament and it prepares people for what God has prepared for them. But that's not new to the Lord. It's new to God's people. And he's trying to posture or position us in order for his will to be done. But many times, many times the prophetic is about the bigger picture. And once again, it's tied to the will of the Lord. And it's sovereign. It's sovereign. It's God coming upon someone as he wills. It's not just us speaking out of our own mind or our own imagination. It's inspired by God, inspired speech by God. And many times it's confirmation. So Acts chapter nine, verse 17 through 19 reads this way. And Ananias went his way And entered the house and laying his hands on him, him being Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how in the world did Ananias know anything that happened to Saul? Well, the Lord revealed it to him. So, God gave Ananias a prophetic word, and through that, he gave him the faith to go talk to Saul. Ananias didn't want to go talk to Saul. Saul had a horrible reputation, and he had blood on his hands, and he didn't want to go see this guy and put himself at risk harm, which is really what would happen. So he said, I'm not going to go, and the Lord said, go, and I'm going to be with you. And so now he goes, and he greets Saul as a fellow believer. He says, Brother Saul, he said, the Lord appeared to you. That's the only reason I'm here. If the Lord wasn't in this, I'm not here. I'm not talking to you. I'm not conversing with you. You're a dangerous individual to be alone with. I don't know what you're going to do. But the Lord sent me to you. You ever feel like that? God sends you to someone and you're not quite sure if God got all all the dots connected correctly. God knows things about people that we don't know. And he tells us just enough to get us there. And then he'll take it from there. You know, God's not a tattletale. Aren't you glad? Sometimes when the prophetic is in in manifestation, people get nervous like God's going to air all their dirty laundry. God doesn't air your dirty laundry. He wants you to bring your dirty laundry to him through confession so he can cleanse you. The only people that God openly ever, ever, ever would say anything to, and it's an act of mercy, it's like the last recourse is hypocrites. That's That's why Jesus dealt with the hypocrites so openly is because he didn't want them to be hypocrites anymore. He wasn't labeling them. He was saying, in your hypocrisy, you're missing out on what God wants to do. In you, just wearing the mask and going through the motions, you're missing out on salvation. Lay aside all of your whitewashed activity of looking good on the outside and being dead on the inside and come alive. Jesus was appealing to them because of his love. He was trying to move them from hardness of heart to a tender heart. To being teachable. So we had to shock them. But God rarely does shock therapy. Only to those who are so hardened. It's like a last resort. It's like laying on the gurney and you get whatever it is. 400 things and boom, boom. And they jump off the gurney. You're trying to resuscitate somebody. That's the only time that God would ever do that. So when the prophetic is in manifestation, we don't need to be scared We need to hear what the Lord is saying and say, here am I, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. And that's exactly what happened here in this particular situation. In verse 18, it says, immediately there fell from his eyes, Saul's eyes, something like scales. And he received his sight at once. He's the original lizard man. And he arose and he was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And so... What a what a, an amazing encounter! And then in Acts chapter twenty-one, and we're going to finish with this. Everybody still with me? Amen. Amen. You learning, being reminded of things, being stirred. Acts chapter twenty-one, verse ten. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus. Agabus is listed in the Gospels. He's listed earlier on in the book of Acts, and now he's used again. So. He's a he's a he's a viable prophet of the Lord and named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt. He bound his own hands and feet. And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard these things, both we and those uh, from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. This was confirmation. Paul knew where he was going. He set his face like Flint to go there. Agabus was saying, this is what's going to happen to you when you get there. Everybody says that doesn't have to happen. You don't have to go. And Paul said, don't break my heart. I have to go. These are people that need to hear just like you needed to hear. And sometimes it, you know, when the prophetic is, is there, we're, we're, we're like, why, why? Because the bigger picture is that God keeps his people moving so that other people can come to know him. And so Paul went and, and what a journey it was to get there. And what a glorious, glorious set of circumstances that God had prearranged for him to testify so he could fulfill his ministry of preaching to the Jews, to the kings, and to the Gentiles. And then he stated later before King Agrippa, he said, King Agrippa, standing before the highest authority in the land now, it took a while to get there, he said, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. When God aroused my attention and I became aware of who Jesus was on the road to Damascus, that day of awareness awakened me. I became willing and I became obedient. And now God has blessed me and I'm standing before you to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. Awareness is such a key in our life. Some people aren't aware. They're not aware that God is talking to them, but God has been talking all the while. One of my hopes in this series that I stated as we began many weeks ago was that in the course of hearing how God talks, you would have recognized where he's spoken to you in days of old. Has that happened to anybody, whether it's creation or conscience or conviction? Thank God for conviction. I'm glad when my heart is cut and I realize that I'm off course, that God would talk to me out of conviction. Doug, you're going down the wrong path Your Your attitude wrong. Your motive is wrong. Everything that you're trying to do is 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 out of whack and out of place. Thank God he, he gets our attention through conviction. And through that conviction, he leads us to confession, and that confession leads us to cleansing. And thank God we can be cleansed and renewed. I want to finish just by saying that, you know, chance and circumstance happen more than what we realize. You just got to slow your engine down a little bit to pick up on it. I know you're important. I know you have somewhere to go and something to do. But along the way, don't pass up the people that God so loves. I I understand. I have a to-do list. I feel better at the end of the day if all the boxes are checked. But some days they're not. And I add boxes. And I'm like, well, it's like family circus. I may have had a straight line to where I'm going at the end of the day well, Billy was all over the playground and that's okay because at the end of the day, Billy still got home and everything was good. Let God be God in your life. Realize he, primarily he's speaking to you through, through many, many practical means. And sometimes he just shows up because he cares that much cares about you and he cares about the people that you're connected to or will eventually be connected to that you don't know right now don't keep your circle of friends small god has people that you can reach outside of the the people that you feel you have something in common with god is just that good let's not put him in that box god is still speaking what we need to be Is those servants that say, here am I, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. I'm listening. So keys to hearing God, I remind us, don't permit sin to harden our heart. That's what sin does. Don't do that. The moment you're cut to the heart, confess your sin to the Lord and be cleansed and restored and enjoy the fellowship that you have with the Father. Don't let sin linger in your life. Deal with it quickly. Allow God to be God in that area of your life. And here's a word to the wise, don't seek signs or experiences, seek him. If God grants you a sign or an experience, that's his choosing, not mine. That's his prerogative, not mine. That's his way, not mine. Don't tempt God. Jesus said, an evil generation seeks a sign. And he said, I've already given them a sign. It's a sign of Jonah. If they don't believe the message of Jonah, they're not going to believe in the, even though someone be resurrected from the dead. And there's so many people today and they're desperate and they want to hear from God and they're asking for signs and they're asking for an experience. And I want to say that if you would just submit yourself to God, he can direct you if you'll simply just submit to him. You may be here today and you may feel like you can't go back. And the reality is you can't go back and 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 maybe undo some things. But this is what you can do. You can go up and you can go to the father and say, here am I, Lord. Once again, I want to hear from you. Maybe you need to slow your motor down and slow your agenda down. And I don't know of an an American who probably couldn't use that counsel right now because we're running way too rampant and fast. And pretty soon, we're going to be like a fine-tuned machine. We're going to break down on the side of the road because you just can't run at 5,000 RPMs without something busting. Something's going to give. Something is going to give. And you think... Maybe that you're beyond that, you're past that, it won't happen to you. But no, it can. We're frail. We're fragile. And life is a very precious gift. And don't race to the end. The run that we're called to run is, is, is a pace that is sustainable through our life. And I'll use this word to stop. We walk with God. That's how we, that's how we do this. We walk with God.